week we looked at chapter 2 and uh, chapter 2 is an overview of his second uh, of three main themes uh, Moses and the law uh, what is its place within context of the logos in the in the uh, mission of the logos um, and we found that it was twofold in chapter 2 uh, he came both to fulfill Ju- Judaism and to purge unbelieving Judaism. So, today we uh, move to chapter 3, and this is his overview of the third theme, which I have labeled God the Son. And as I have said once before, I'm not sure that's the best title for it. It's the best I could come up with, but, you know... Something better may come up. Uh, so we'll just say God the Son. Uh, so, can anybody remember what happens in the third chapter of John? <laughs> we have the uh, conversation with Nicodemus, and then at the end of the chapter, John uh, focuses back on John the Baptist. So, all right, so I need a volunteer. Somebody who will read the drive-by readings from chapter 3. So who would, who would like to do that today? I'll do it, but what are the drive-by readings? I will let you know. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> As we drive by. Okay. That's right. So, and uh, I need to start by pointing out that I have a correction for your, your sheet. Those of you who still have it. Or we would like a new one. Well, I mean, you don't you can have it. I mean, you can have more than one. <laughs> They're not so precious that we're not just like throwing around like government benefits. Uh, so, on your sheet, you'll see that I've got uh, that he came to claim his bride, uh, and. Uh, I mean, that's what I had settled with. Where was this? Uh, number three. If you look on the, on, the, on the front, the one that looks like an index. Uh, number three, it says God the Sons, chapter 11 through 20. Uh, uh, the overview, it says he came to claim his bride. Uh, after I got all this done and I was going through it again, I realized that was not a strong enough word. Uh, he had already called his uh, first followers in chapter one. Uh, and he, what he's saying to Nicodemus is far more than that. So he did not come to claim his bride. He came to create his bride. Uh, and we see this uh, flatly. I'm going to tell you. I wasn't at that point. Uh, we'll get to it. <laughs> uh, 
But we we see this we see this come together uh, in uh, verse twenty nine of this chapter, Walton. Uh, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Okay, this is John the Baptist yeah. talking. Uh, and he's using this bridegroom, bride and bridegroom language. Uh, so, can anybody think of anybody else whose bride was created for him? Could be Adam. <laughs> could, could be Adam. Uh, so we, uh, so John is uh, 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 invoking again Genesis, just as he did at the beginning of his gospel. It's Genesis two twenty one through twenty three. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. Uh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So Eve, in all of the creation story, Eve is the one thing, the one living thing that was not made directly from dust. The bride of Adam came from Adam, and the eternal bride of Christ uh, does not return to dust. As in the resurrection. As in the resurrection, but also also in the here and now, from generation to generation, the bride is always alive. So we've got this kind of uh, compare and contrast going on with Eve. Uh, and uh, to bring this to bring this all together again, he includes the Baptist. Uh, so you know, kind of keep in mind the the parables from Mark that we read last uh, week about the uh, putting a new uh, patch on an old piece of fabric or new wine into an old wine skin. You know, the new does not fit in the context of the old. It just destroys the old, you know. If you're not, if it's not all new, then the old would be destroyed. So, a new creation, a new bride, is uh, what he's telling Nicodemus here. So, any any uh, immediate thoughts about that? There's an interesting fact in science uh, that uh, when a surgeon needs bone, he'll take uh, the bone. Of a rib, and one of the reasons for that, uh, the the rib. Well, I think all bones, is, but the ribs are wrapped in a thing called the periosteum. It's kind of like a banana peel. And if the surgeon removes the rib uh, skillfully and leaves the periosteum, uh, bone will grow back there. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of it's kind of interesting that uh, mm-hmm. in Genesis God chose the rib to highlight, mm-hmm. you know, and then. All these years later, he knew something that we didn't know. Yeah, it's, 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 kind, of, it's kind of a fun. To me, it's a fun fact. I have a question, a little bit about Jim's question, but I mean, uh, okay, everything okay. I'm just wondering, uh, is uh, 
Christ creates his bride or reveals his bride or the new bride, as you say. But yet, in the Old Testament, there have to be at least some multitudes that are also part of that bride, mm-hmm. right? Well, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that would be considered by a bride of Christ <coughs> or not. Old Testament believers? Yeah. I mean, you can yeah. make that argument. Certainly. I, but I'm not a good enough theologian to, <laughs> to split those hairs. Well, it's, it's, it's like every one of the people that are redeemed in the Old Testament. Exactly. But the actual event, the physical event, is, is when Jesus crucified. The death of Christ, yes. So in yeah. a sense, yeah. maybe this is what we're talking about. Yeah. 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 This is the actual event that creates... What you know that, that put, puts we, makes it physical okay. within a sense, I guess. Okay, physicalization sounds good. And you mentioned something about uh, uh, they don't return to dust. Somewhere in Revelation, it kind of talks about that. It says the dead in the dead in Christ shall awake first because they're just sleeping. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're talking about eternity and everlasting, then even as individuals. You know, we we reclaim our bodies, the bodies we're born with, though glorified, yeah, in the resurrection. <clears throat> it is. And and the sea will give up its dead. Yes, sir. So, I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. Okay, well, let's go ahead. I'm amazed in the church today that people are not talking about this, but they don't. I just will actually have a body in the resurrection, yeah. Just go ahead and read uh, verses 1 through 10. Yes. Uh, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. 
So it is with everyone who is born in the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? That's truly, a, that's, truly, that's I good. say to you, We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If that's I, good. Huh? <laughs> yeah, just leave 10. Oh, just through 10 is fine. You were on a roll. Those are good words to read. So it's uh, Nicodemus in, in verse 2 invokes teacher twice. He calls Jesus rabbi and he calls him a teacher come from God. And this is telling, I think, uh, because someone in Nicodemus's position would be all about learning all about learning the scripture, uh, the Torah. Uh, and this is, I think he's exposing here what he thinks is important. It's learning. But Jesus basically throws that back in his face in verse 10. Uh, uh, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Jesus uh, tells him, no, it's not learning that uh is going to be required, but a new creation. Now, uh, Jesus could have been referring to a lot of different things from Old Testament, things that Nicodemus should have known through his learning, but uh, the best um, flat-out statement of it is in Ezekiel uh, 36, 25-27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." So, uh, this stands in contrast with the stone of the law, uh, which we talked about, uh, you know, in chapter 2, we had uh, the stone jars, which, you know, represented the purification from the law, which was weak and limited, uh, as opposed to the, to the uh, uh, grace of his blood stone represented tablets. in the wine. The stone tablets, too. The stone tablets, Stoning people who broke the law. I mean, there was a lot uh, uh, before uh, Moses uh, when God directed uh, his people, uh, the patriarchs, to build altars. He told them, use uncut stone. So stone is, is very much a thing in the, uh, in the Old Testament. But uh, God said through Ezekiel, and um, Jesus is referring to this, I will give you a heart of flesh to replace your heart of stone. Uh, And uh, in verse 5, Jesus says, uh, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Ezekiel addresses both of these things. In the the promise uh, spoken through Ezekiel, uh, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and clean you from your uncleannesses. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues. So this is all, but, you know, as learned as Nicodemus was, 
He didn't get it because learning is not where it's at. It is about a recreation, a rebirth. Something I've always wondered about this verse, um, they make point of he came by night, so obviously he's being kind of surreptitious and covert about the meeting. But then he says, we believe you are instead of I believe you are. So who is the we he's referring to? Uh, probably at least Joseph of Arimathea. Maybe there's, there's a group that are talking among themselves is yeah. what I've always kind of thought. Yeah, I, I think that was the case. Uh, there, in, during the Reformation, there was a group that the people who put their lives on the line looked down on. The, the, the hidden uh, believers or reformers who stayed within the Catholic Church. And they were called the Nicodemans. Oh. And so it was, uh, they used it as a pejorative. Emphasis on the demon side. Craig, what was that reference about the sprinkling? What was Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. Ezekiel 36, 25. Okay, now on top of that, Jesus fulfills both of these actions that Ezekiel lists. Uh, first in 13.5. Uh, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel which he was girded. So he is cleansing them with water in that, in that moment. And then in 20.22, and he said this and breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So both, you know, John uh, uh, gives us uh, incidents uh, that the other gospel writers don't uh, to illustrate these two things from Ezekiel that Jesus has referred to speaking with Nicodemus. You know, in the book that we're studying with the Celtic book, where they, they have a term they call to be able to see the world with washed eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and by washed eyes, I mean eyes that have been really, in a sense, cleansed by your own, cleansed by tears because of the presence of God in your life. Mm-hmm. So. Um, now, and on top of that, uh, John alone uh, is the only gospel writer who records the crucifixion event of uh, 1934. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. So we've got uh, the, the water, the cleansing water and the cleansing blood uh, again in, uh, in John's. Uh, and that, that is deep into the section where he is uh, uh, really laying out this, uh, this theme of God the Son. So it's a very important uh, imagery for him, and he's really hitting it hard here. Well, he, you know, Jesus also has Thomas put his hands in that wound that was in his side mm-hmm. of the spirit. Yeah. Reach in there and fill it for yourself. Mm-hmm. So, man, amazing. Think about that. Yeah. No. Yeah, I think, well, maybe I'm wrong here, but I think it's the blood and the water coming out. That's, that's, the other gospels don't report that, but yeah. they, they do report this pierced with the spear, I think. Sign of a ruptured heart. <clears throat> yeah. Um, Could I interject something and ask? Mm-hmm. While we talk about it, verse it sort of comes to my mind. While we're talking about 
things that have always followed the water is being the word, the washing of the water of the word and feelings. But the verse in particular would be in 1 John where the Bible says to follow the word of the Holy Ghost. Uh, these three are one. And the next verse is, and there are three that bear witness in the earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. Well, I'm not really prepared to. <laughs> I can talk off the top of my head. I mean, I think it's more of the same imagery. Um, to go ahead. Well, that's, that's, that was it. The spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not real strong. <laughs> Uh, admittedly, in John's letters, in uh, some of his language escapes me. So I would hesitate to try to uh, talk about that off the top of my head. But if anybody else has got uh, something on that. Oh, this is First uh, John 5, chapter uh, 8. I would just argue at least. Uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I think my, my first response to that would just simply be you have the multiple witnesses there even though the spirit and the water and the blood agree that these are multiple witnesses to the testimony yeah. of Christ and so that, that continues to fit into that two or more witness uh, requirement that right. God lays down it's the physical reality of Christ is, is spirit uh, capitalized there in your uh, translation no, it's not it seems to me saying that they're agreeing in the previous verse the following of the word and the Holy Ghost and these three are one and so, in earth, the spirit, the water, and blood agree in one somehow. Well, there's always uh, what, something to be said for, like Nick was saying, it's the people who were there. And when you see something that incredible, sometimes you're struggling to find words to embody it. So, and that's the best he could do the imagery to communicate what he was feeling when he saw this. So, I'm thinking it's that's just the best way he could describe it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to have any like real deep meaning, but you know, say, well, how does someone who has never tasted chocolate describe it when they first eat it? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I <laughs> hope, you know, some of that works. Uh, so, this is more than a calling than, that Jesus is talking about with Nicodemus. He, he is going to create a spiritual people. Uh, and I, I ran across this uh, just this week in my random reading of Psalms. Psalm 87. Uh, it's short. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Okay. Mount Zion, particularly in the Psalms, is a symbol of grace as opposed to Mount Sinai, which is a, which is a symbolic of the law. So he's talking about Zion here, the, the grace of Zion and the beautiful city, which is Jerusalem, right? Right. Well, what, what, what is one of the way, uh, ways the bride is referred to in uh, Revelation as the New Jerusalem. So we've got, we've got church bridal language here in the song. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me 
Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This one was born there. So he's going among the nations of the world and saying this one, you know, pointing out to someone and saying this one was born in Zion, in Jerusalem. And of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself shall establish her. The Lord will record when he registers the peoples, this one was born there. Both the singers and the players in all the instruments say, all my springs are in you. It was a little odd little verse at the end. There's such an emphasis on, people, on God's people born in Zion, born in grace, born in New Jerusalem. That just really struck me, you know, knowing that I was going to be talking about this <laughs> uh, today. So, anyway. That was Psalm 87. That was Psalm 87. Uh, so, I'm just going to throw it open now. Uh, the floor is open. Anybody have any I guess that's where we're all commentary? Born in a sense. Yes, indeed. That's what he's saying. His people are born in Zion in New Jerusalem. About you nailing down your conversion date and how important it was, especially for the Baptists to nail down. Somebody asked, I forget who they asked. Bernie said, "Oh yeah, I know exactly what time it was and what and why it wasn't what time. It was on Good Friday at three o'clock in the afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) In the year (laughs) thirty. Well, you know, people who talk about making sure you know exactly when you're saved, they use John 3 as a reference for that. You know, talking about being born of the Spirit, know yeah. exactly when you were born. Yeah. But ironically, and Cameron was the one who pointed this out to me, I can't believe I didn't see it until he showed me one day. That verse actually specifically goes against that by saying, you don't know when the Spirit showed up. <laughs> All you need to do is see it's yeah. yes, You don't exactly. know where it showed up. You don't know where it's going. Exactly. You don't, yeah. you don't know when the Spirit arrived in your life. You just mm-hmm. you see the fruit. Exactly. Plus, when, when people obsess with points like that, it's a dangerous thing because it puts the focus on us instead of Christ where it should be. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the proof text of all proof texts. <laughs> no, the exact second. Because that's, that's, that that's like a big thing nowadays. There's more and more people that are worried because, hey, I, I did these sins. Have I lost my salvation? And there's some people that say, yes, you can lose. And some people say, no, you can't. It's like they're using sin as a gauge to whether or not they're still saved or not. It says, well, you know. Don't focus on that because that's that's human. That's the human world. You know, focus on what Christ did. So, any other thoughts or questions or anything about Nicodemus? Oh, beautifully done in the chosen. You set up in the chosen. You said Nicodemus. That's kind of a wrong choice if you're trying to be private. You know, could have come up with a different name. Yeah. All right, uh, so after Nicodemus, John turns uh, his attention back to the Baptist. So, Walton, if you could read 26 through 30. Okay. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. 
the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Is that, is that enough? Yes, okay. that is it. Okay. So, um, and, and John enters into this bridal uh, uh, imagery in describing his role in uh, his relationship now with with the Christ who was revealed, um, you know, during Epiphany, we celebrate uh, John the Baptized, Baptist uh, revealing Christ to the Jews through Jesus' baptism. So this final statement from John, uh, you know, belongs to this theme of God the Son. Uh, we read in Matthew again, John. The apostle doesn't really have a narrative for Jesus' baptism. He just he just refers to kind of the aftermath. But in Matthew, Matthew does. Now, one thing I've noticed in uh, this study that usually when I need to find support from the other Gospels, it's in Matthew. And it just seems a little bit odd to me, Matthew and John being the two Gospel writers who, who had direct... Uh, 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 access to the original source. Um, so anyway, that's just that's just an odd thing that has cropped up. Anyway, Matthew three sixteen and seventeen. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, "This is my beloved Son." in whom I am well pleased. So we have, this is a Trinitarian uh, event, and we have the Father himself invoking God the Son. You know, this is my Son. So uh, that's, you know, it fits well within this theme of, of John's. Um, He's in the water too when it happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We know that the Jews were expecting a Messiah that would come and free them from Roman rule. They were looking more for a political leader. Yes. But how much do they understand the imagery of Christ as the bride and the the church? Yes, because it's in the Old Testament. We look back, and John uses it directly here. Would the rabbis and all of them understand what he was trying to say? Was that important to them, or was that something that they just had overlooked, or do we know? I think it probably was only understood through Epiphany or Revelation. So those who were chosen to understand it probably did, or at least a little bit. I'm not not even sure really even how much the disciples understood it, Uh, but a lot of them would have been blind. I mean, to it, I'm, I'm sure. They wouldn't be saying, when the Messiah comes, you know, it will be... Well, we're about to come up with something interesting here, uh, which we can discuss whether this is this interpretation belongs to the church or whether it might have been understood uh, by the ancient Jews. But we'll, we're about to get <laughs> get to something, you know, without, without uh, stealing my own thunder. You look like you have an idea. I will say what I'm going to say, and you can correct me or whatever. Uh, the scripture says that sin is a transgression of the law. I'm just uh, thinking here that uh, uh, Jesus came to fulfill the law. 
which right. he did. Okay. So sin is the transgression of the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. So old Jewish people, whoever studies the scripture of the Old Testament, that they know God is God, the lost person, whoever they may be. So those that try to imitate holiness, they can't do it because of their sinful nature. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it's an impossibility for a person to become born again without the miracle of faith. Well, I mean, Nicodemus, Nicodemus' question is legit. How yeah. can this be? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's a work of God. By revelation of the scripture or yeah. the Holy Spirit some yeah. way here. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Uh, one question, though, is where is uh, Eon and Salim, the two places where he's baptized? Do you have to, I mean, uh, map to find them? Yeah, you would have to. Because I love that statement. It says, because there's plenty of water there. Well, he he stuck around uh, uh, the Jordan, of course, and mostly in the area of Bethany. Uh, uh, but I don't know if that's you know the same as, as these areas. Yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar with him. Um, okay, so anyway, it's a very specific place. Yeah, the Baptist is the last of the Old Testament prophets, and he has at this point he has fulfilled his role as a forerunner. Uh, I keep losing my place. Um, he is still dealing here with purification issues. This is what they bring up: uh, a, a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. So he's he's still talking about this superficial purification, uh, and so this also uh, invokes uh, the wedding at Cana again, uh, the uh, poor purification uh, under the law. Uh, also, I have a note here for Matthew three eleven. Oh, yeah, this is John's. A statement: I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. So, uh, at this point, John is going to be beyond the purification of water, um, but this is still um, still the issues that that they're dealing with, and he and he turns the argument toward. Stop looking at me. Start looking at Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. Uh, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. As a Jew, John the Baptist is simply a friend of the bridegroom. Uh, but the bridegroom was there to create his bride, to to gain his bride uh, and that's where John finds his joy. It's not in the increase of his own uh, reputation or power or anything. It is in seeing Jesus, uh, uh, pick your verb, his bride, <laughs> creating, finding, receiving, uh, gathering, you know, whatever you want to say there. Um, and, of course, John continues this bridal theme in uh, Revelation 
for instance, uh, 21.2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And he goes on and on like that in, in uh, Revelation. So, it has been said that it is God's eternal purpose to provide a bride for his son. And this is where we get into the Old Testament types. Uh, there is a uh, type demonstrated in Genesis 24, 12 through 14. I'm only going to be reading part of it. And this is Abraham's servant. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman whom I say I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camel. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Isaac being a type of the son, God the son. So now did... The Jews see this as a type of things to come or simply a story from their gloryful past? Well, not only the Jews, but the modern church is weak on all of this. Yes. Uh, you know? I would guess that, <clears throat> you know, I, I, God can do anything he wants and he may have enlightened a lot of Jews about the types. Um but uh, enlightened a lot of Jews about the types. But in general, in general, I think it probably was a mystery to them. Much as, you know, there's a lot of prophecy that is a mystery to us still. Um, I guess if you studied uh, some Old Testament commentaries or something like that that Jews have put together, you might... You might find some reference to it at some point, but it might be one of those things. It's just like us. There's things that happen that that are we, we discover as truths as we move along. We thought we never thought of before. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. God reveals something else to us. We go, "Wow, I never saw that before." Yeah, and a lot of times you forget <laughs> what He's revealed to you for some time. Yeah, there's still things for us to learn. We haven't gotten it all yet. Well, so we can't, I can't really know that. I mean, unless we were a really deep Jewish literature scholar. The Jews seem to think that the kings in the South would come and be a military type king. So yeah. I would, I would well, say, you know, I would doubt that they would get an imagery like that. As, as you know, we remember from week one, you know, their, their idea of what they called the Mimra was limited, and they never thought of them. Is never thought of the Messiah as being divine, not not the Son of God, yeah. just simply a military political leader in the in the in mode of David. Well, it's not like Solomon, always like David. Yeah, in Christ. Yeah, is like Solomon. It's well, he's like both, but well, yeah. But he's he, he's he's a peace and love. Yeah, he right. When he comes back, it'll be Prince of Peace, not not well. He, he he will be the conquering king for like a moment, <laughs> for a well, nanosecond. And the Jews, I believe, will argue with you about, is, is it in Isaiah where it talks about the virgin birth? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Isaiah? They'll yeah. argue with you about it. No, that's, yeah, they'll say the Hebrew there. You know, 
Yeah. Except for it does. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps maybe some of the more mystical. What was yeah. they argue about? Think of the Magi, though. How, how did the Magi know? Yeah, right. Absolutely. Oh, but they thought well, he was a. They might have thought that he was going to be a physical king, though. But just they, the, the revelation yeah. for them to travel. Right. right. To make a, a, a trip as long yeah. as they yeah. did. Yeah. That, that, you know, it wasn't like the, the Jewish people right. at that time were doing that. Yeah. So. Okay, well, uh, uh, let me go ahead and finish up this, uh, this uh, point, and uh, it's time to uh, cut off. But, you know, regardless of what the Jews thought, we can say that the early church definitely saw Isaac and Rebekah as a type of Christ in the church. And this, just, just to pick one out of the air, uh, this is what Caesarius of Arles wrote about it. Now, dearly beloved, let us briefly see as far as we can what these facts mean. When blessed Abraham directed his servant to take a wife for his son, he portrayed an image of God the Father. Just as when he offered the boy as a holocaust, he then presented an image of God the Father. So also his servant signified the words of prophecy. For this reason, Abraham sent his servant into a distant land to take a wife for his son, because God the Father intended to send his prophetic word throughout the world to search for the Catholic Church, small c, Catholic, as a spouse for his only begotten son. So this is definitely how the early church uh, uh, interpreted uh, that event, and this is what John chapter three is about. So, any any closing thoughts? Yeah, what did you mean by Memra? I've forgotten about that. Uh, in in the whole world of who of the logos, uh, and uh, the uh, archetypal idea yeah. that was the Jewish name oh. for that concept. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, within their own kind of philosophical writings. Well, what, what, which concept? Memra. Yeah, for what, which concept? Memra. It's what the Jews called. It was their, yeah, it was basically their word for logos. Okay, I don't know, I don't know if it means word. I don't know if it's that direct, but it was that concept. Okay. All right, well, I guess we'll break up. Thank you uh, for sitting through it. Um, next, Next week, chapter four.